a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Oh my, things are getting spicy. Never been a better time to be a wrong thinker, I can tell you that. Especially with the the kind of week we've got lining up ahead of us. Anyhow, welcome to the show. This is about seeking truth. It's not about me having all the truth. I'm not I'm not here to dispense it to you like so much fatherly advice. As you gather around my uh, my armchair, you know, to listen to me uh, muse as I pull on my pipe, you know, no, I'm uh, I'm here to try to make sense of it, just the same as you, and and I think I've got a pretty good line on some good sources, some resources for wrong thinkers who question the narrative, who question every official pronouncement, because frankly, there's just so much deception out there, but also who are willing to to look through the political fog. And, and see the principles that are at stake. And again, I'm not asking you to accept anything that I say as gospel truth, because I'm just not that smart of a guy. But I am making an honest effort to ascertain the truth and to speak the truth as I best understand it. I've got some wonderful uh, commentators and guests who help to that end. So if you're okay with that, if you can, if you can handle that, let's dive in and let's have a little journey. See what we can learn over the next little bit. So I guess the, the big news this week is uh, now there's there's this report that, well, Donald Trump, the former president, is going to be arrested on Tuesday. And, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of people questioning, well, what exactly are we supposed to do? In fact, the big question, I think, on a lot of people's minds, those who are not necessarily carrying water for Trump, but who are on the side of freedom and very much opposed to what is increasingly looking like the the communist coup that is taking place at the highest levels of our government. We're asking ourselves, what can I do? What should I do? Should I get out there and protest? Given the way that, uh, you know, the whole January 6th protest appears to have unfolded, or at least was co-opted by operatives, apparently some within and some without the government, it sounds like a pretty risky thing. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you this is what you should do. I am going to suggest, though, that, uh, that one thing to keep in mind, whatever your plans are, there's enough anger, there is enough evil that is actually here in the world, hard at work, 24-7 right now. I think it behooves each one of us as individuals to do what we can not to bring more anger, not to bring more evil into the situation. In other words, look, it's here. People are doing terribly evil things. People want to do evil things. We have to take great care that we don't become evil in our quest to stand up to them or to stop them or otherwise to assert, you know, our our preference for good or to protect those things that are most precious to us. So take care. You know, it's, this goes back to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, his, his whole live not the lie essay. I mean, he talks about it in terms of let the lie come into the world. Let it even triumph, but not through me. And that's what I'm going to ask you to consider. Whatever your actions are, whatever your choices are, weigh them very carefully on is this going to, is this going to admit more anger, more evil into the world or not? 
And if there's a question about it, you might want to give it some very serious consideration before committing one way or the other. Okay, this isn't wandering around in a permanent state of indecision. It's just weigh your options carefully and and don't don't get suckered into, oh, well, by gosh, we're going to grab our guns and go out there and parade around on the streets until people notice that we're angry. Trust me, they know you're angry. In my opinion, this, is, this couldn't be anything less than a provocation to try to get somebody, anybody on the right or who could be tied to the political right to act out violently. Why? Because, well, see, this is why we've been saying these people are, you know, racist, anti-Semitic, you know, angry, extremist, blah, 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 blah. The, the list goes on and on. We can't be foolish enough to, to play that game. Now, I'm saying this with the understanding that every action that I do on a daily basis, well, virtually every action, is calculated to help me have greater self-reliance and a greater ability to say not just no, but sometimes hell no to those who insist that I need their control and their direction and their permission to do anything I want to do with my life. In fact, I'm just going to, I'm going to put the card on the table. This is, this is a pretty radical thing to say, but um, I'm trying to remember if it was uh, Jeff Deist from the Mises Institute talked about personal secession. And I know there are people poo-poo, national divorce, whatever thing. Hey, you don't have to, you don't have to wait for a national divorce to effectively separate yourself from things that are unhealthy or bad. In fact, I recommend personal secession, and it can take so many different forms. Homeschooling, that is a form of personal secession. How? It's taking your kids out of a system that apparently now is really trying hard to introduce them to gender confusion and and perversion of every stripe in in the guise of, well, it's just inclusivity. Come on. And by the way, you should hate yourself because your skin color is white. And yeah, if if you don't want your kids being subjected to that kind of leftist brainwashing, your best bet is probably to just take them out of the system altogether. I mean, look, homeschooling has made a huge jump, especially since, you know, the lockdowns started three years ago. There's going to come a point where the left and its enablers are going to realize that, man, people are escaping the system. And if you think they were, you know, vigorous on truancy laws before, they're going to really make it mandatory. You have to put your kid in our school. Your kid has to chant in unison with their classmates. They have to salute the rainbow flag or whatever it is. Parents who take their kids out of that system, well, guess what? They're, they're seceding from something that they don't want to be a part of. There's nothing wrong with that. And frankly, there are a lot of areas where we can do this where we don't have to ask permission. We just... We just do it. Um, another example, just for the, for the sake of argument, how much of Hollywood are you sitting and consuming or how much are you supporting? Now, I know there, there are exciting movies out there, and I, I couldn't tell you the difference between the uh, Marvel Universe and, and others. I couldn't tell you. And there are people who actually find a lot of joy and a lot of entertainment. I'm not trying to, to quash their joy. But I'm saying when it comes to mainstream pop culture you know, the entertainment industry, the, the legacy media, and so forth. I've reached the point where they have so little to offer me that uh, I just, I don't patronize them. 
once in a while I look and I see different articles and sometimes in the course of research, you know, I'll have to, to watch a video or something like that. But I don't willingly give them my patronage because as a form of personal secession, I have better ways to get information, to be informed than what they can offer me. I have better ways to be entertained than what they can offer me. Now, I'll admit, I do enjoy I do enjoy reruns of like The Office and some some of the shows like that. But generally, if there's a new movie coming out, I really don't care. Same thing with award shows, uh, and I don't mean to offend anybody. Same thing with a lot of sporting events. These are wonderful distractions. This, these are the circuses of our bread and circuses phase. But I'm much more serious about I'm going to be free. I will live as a free man as much as possible in an increasingly unfree world. Which to some people makes me a very radical individual. Isn't it weird how, how we've allowed that paradigm to be shifted to where, look, a person who just wants to be left alone, to raise their family in peace, to keep the fruits of their labors, is considered extremist. Oh, that's a terrible thing. How could you even suggest that? How could you possibly deny your children our sophisticated tutelage about what's what pronouns should be used and, and what inclusivity is like and what diversity is like? And, and yeah. I think really what it comes down to is you can you can see that our nation is being separated into two very distinct groups. And it's not Democrats and Republicans and it's not progressives and conservatives. It's those who wish to be left alone and those who refuse to leave others alone. Now I'll grant you, this, across the political spectrum, we all have that little inner tyrant who wants to tell people you have to do this and you have to do that. And sometimes I wonder, you know, some of the bills that uh, have been, you know, going before, for instance, the Idaho legislature where I live, you know, some of these things, you know, that, uh, that would uh, punish providing obscene materials to kids in, in libraries that would, that would punish people who perform sexually explicit performances or sexually suggestive performances in front of kids. I'm definitely not an advocate for more government. At the same time, Sometimes people will push the limits to the point where you have to draw a line. And that appears to be where we are. So, you may feel powerless sometimes. You look at the bigger picture and you wonder, okay, they're going to arrest Trump. Now what? People out in the streets with pitchforks and torches? First of all, there is no political savior coming to save you. Not even Trump. Find the way to secede and make it stick. That's all I can say. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Would like to give a quick shout out to my sponsors who make this program possible. They include TMCP Nation. That's the Modern Conservative Podcast. My friend John Harvey. A clear voice of reason. And John just tells it like it is. He's also got some wonderful swag for people who are into liberty. And if you're if you're a person who loves freedom and you don't mind telling others, you ought to check out his store at tmcpnation.com. Throws in some nice gifts, too. If you spend over 100 bucks, he'll throw in some really nice gifts to make it worth your while. By the way, use the code BHIDE, H-Y-D-E, BHIDE, at checkout in order to score those gifts. Also, Borelli.com, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. 
I want to share with you a recent Substack column from my friend Brian Alman. Brian is the communications director for the Idaho Freedom Foundation. And I guess in interest of full disclosure, I should let you know, I create content for the Idaho Freedom Foundation as well. I do a, a twice a week video series called uh, Nowhere to Hide. And my job is to take to task various members of the legacy media who just can't help themselves when it comes to spinning and distorting and otherwise attacking anything that is freedom related. And I love Brian's approach. And I think he's, he's a wonderful fit for the Idaho Freedom Foundation in that he is very analytical. He's sharp. He does not miss anything. But he also, I, I love his approach. I think he takes what I consider a very productive approach. It's, it's uh, not so much hard line as, as there's conviction there. But he also, he, he allows for, look, there may be people who see this differently than me, but dang, the guy makes a lot of sense. And he's got a great article about the null hypothesis. Now, I, I was not familiar with that phrase, but then again, I'm not a scientist. But the null hypothesis is something that is being used to, to convince us that uh, radical is normal. I'm going to share a couple excerpts from his most recent column, and, and there's a link in the show notes to his substack. You should really check it out. I would recommend subscribe. When he, when he writes about something, it is worth your time. It's the uh, gemstate.substack.com. Again, there's a link in the show notes. Brian Almond says, I've noticed something strange since I came to Idaho nearly five years ago. He says, many Republicans whose families migrated to this region before Idaho was even a state are the most outspoken voices against what they call extremism. He says, I've heard accusations that issues such as critical race theory and queer theory in public schools were never issues before the Great Migration from the West Coast. Rather, they're mirages created by activists to use for political gain. And he says, this is strange to me because maintaining that belief requires an incredible amount of deliberate ignorance and cognitive dissonance. So imagine your neighbor rushing over to your house in the middle of the night, desperately warning you that the river had overrun its banks and a flood was headed your way. You might be able to dismiss him as a raving madman for a few minutes, but when those floodwaters begin rising, you have to deal with the situation as it was. Well, on every political issue in Idaho, the right is identified as the aggressors, the extremists. For instance, when a group of parents raised the issue of obscene materials being made available to children in the Meridian Library, the media cast them as the villains, while the groomers who publish this material and stock it in the library, well, they're considered to be the normal people. So why is this? Well, Brian says it's, in science, there's something called the null hypothesis. That's the state of things if nothing changes. In other words, the state of being normal. And before you can do an experiment, you must define the null hypothesis so that you can accurately describe what changes result from your experiment. So in society, the null hypothesis is whatever most people believe is the normal state of things. Well, he says in the last decade or so, a radical left-wing zeitgeist has arisen in our society. Activists have successfully pushed their agenda to the point where extreme leftism is now the null hypothesis. And by the way, it's, it's something that is supported not just by the news media, not just by academia, Corporate America has fully embraced this. Many churches have fully embraced it. The long march through the institutions has been going on for decades, generations. And that's where we are. 
Extreme leftism is now, well, of course, of course we would uh, punish people for holding different opinions or disagreeing that the climate is changing and only by giving people more power and money or more power over us and giving them more of our money can we change that. Now, Brian, Brian Allman says, isn't that ironic? Leftism, which is by nature radical and progressive, now has been established as normal in our society. While conservatism, ostensibly a movement devoted to maintaining the status quo, is tarred as being full of radical extremists. So, what's normal today? Well, just a few issues here. School librarians stocking their shelves with outright pornography. Sexually explicit drag shows for children. Children being indoctrinated to believe they are transgender. Even mundane mundane things like government funding, college, or health care, or the arts all considered so normal that any attempt to change it is called radical. Now, what else is radical today? Well, he says having the same views on marriage as Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton 15 years ago. Or saying that children should not be allowed to take part in sexually explicit performances. Or supporting laws against genital mutilation of children. Or believing that we should cut government spending rather than expanding it. We are frogs being boiled in water, not noticing how the things we consider normal have been turned on their heads. And the reason for this is because we trust, trust our national institutions. In fact, he points out, and I think this is true, the older we are, the more we tend to trust and assume that our government, our schools, our media, our law enforcement agencies, and our churches still are the trustworthy institutions they were in our youth. I know it's, it's a bitter pill to swallow to consider, well, maybe they're not. But the truth is, they, they are not. He says, imagine you're a fan of a fast food restaurant. You've been going there since childhood. You love the taste of their food. You love the way they serve you with a smile, the cleanliness of their restrooms. You go there regularly so often, you don't notice a decline in quality. One day, a friend asks, why do you still eat here? The food is awful. The staff are rude. The restrooms are disgusting. But in your mind, the name is still associated with quality and happy memories. So it's hard to accept how different it has become. This is how it is with institutions that made America. In fact, he, he pulls up a quote from 2015. Hard to believe this was nearly 10 years ago. David Burge put it this way. Number one, identify a respected institution. Number two, kill it. Number three, gut it. Number four, wear its carcass as a skin suit while demanding respect. Hashtag lefties. So over the last century or so, leftist activists have infiltrated and taken over nearly every institution we consider part of the fabric of American life. And it was a very long and deliberate process to do by guile what they could never do by force. And he gives examples of this. The government is using every authority at its fingertip to persecute opponents of the regime from pro-life pastors to Trump supporters while abdicating their responsibility to the American people and selling out to supranational organizations and illegal immigrants. Schools and universities have strayed from their mission of educating American citizens. They're now working full-time to create an army of Marxist activists for the never-ending revolution. Media generates 24-7 propaganda in favor of the new secular religion of diversity, equity, inclusion, and the LGBTQ plus agenda. Even law enforcement, a pillar of American tradition and values, has been turned against the American people. 
Police enforce draconian mask mandates and lockdowns during the COVID era. The FBI persecutes law-abiding Americans while running cover for criminal oligarchs who run our country. And, of course, the justice system, as we are going to see this week, is heavily weighted against conservatives. Many churches have been infiltrated and repurposed as they drift further and further away from a traditional understanding of theology and the gospel and closer to a philosophy based on social justice and socialism. There's much, much more to this article. In fact, he gives some really good advice about to what you can do about this, from homeschooling your children to more participation in your local uh, library board, city council, or any other taxing district in your community. He says, don't be afraid to take a job in media or government. Be the change you want to see. Get involved in party politics. And Brian's a good example of this. He's, he has done this. And by the way, it makes him a threat. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. But boy, the leftists here in Idaho, they fear and tremble whenever he comes around. There's a link in the show notes. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, if you stuck with me this far, I assume you are of stout hearts and stiff upper lips and basically have the backbone to to deal with uh, unpleasant but uh, but necessary truths that need to be spoken. One of which is it sure feels like someone is trying to get us at each other's throats. And this this is the hard thing to remember. Look, when you see when you see left-wing violence like Black Lives Matters or Antifa out there really legitimately burning things down, beating people, you know, killing people, and, and the media turns a blind eye, well, it's just an idea. It's not really even an organization. You know, they, they, they try to minimize mostly peaceful protests as the fires are burning behind the reporter. It's, it's really strong cognitive dissonance. Well, they're telling me one thing, but my eyes are telling me another. It's hard not to feel discouraged. Like I told a friend, it's the the war against those who uh, want to remain tied to reality, those who wish to live in reality, that war has really intensified of late. And there's just so much open deception. You can't believe your eyes. You can't believe this. You can't believe that. Things that uh, people are getting away with, you know, bribes for government officials. I'm not mentioning any families, but, you know, the Biden family may have, have uh, benefited from this in some ways. But, oh, no, no big deal. No big deal. You know, what's the harm in, in that? You know, they're, they're upset that, uh, that Donald Trump paid a uh, prostitute out of uh, campaign funds. It's, you know, and he may very well have been in the wrong here, okay? I'm, I'm not saying that, boy, he was right to visit that prostitute or that porn star or whatever Stormy Daniels. It doesn't really matter. It's just so interesting that, that the really heinous stuff goes unpunished. If there was real justice, and if ju- real justice was, you know, the goal, people like George W. Bush would be sitting in Guantanamo Bay serving a life sentence for engaging in war against the Iraqi people and killing a million Iraqis and apparently getting away with it because people still praise him. Oh, what a great president. What a great man that was. So don't be discouraged, but understand you have got to be able to see the world clearly. And, and the best way that I know to do this is to become an educated individual. Now, that's not the same thing as, so go to school and get a degree and let them tell you what to think. No. No, 
In fact, I want to share with you, this is from, uh, this is from nearly 12 years ago. It's an article from Brett and Kate McKay. This is from theartofmanliness.com. The three characteristics of an educated man. And they start with the question, what defines an educated man? The number of degrees he has, the size of his vocabulary, how many books he's read? Well, the qualities that constitute an educated man can be argued over and debated. But the article says, I was really taken with the description I found in the book, How to Live the Good Life, by Commander Edward Whitehead. He said, an educated man has been defined as one who can entertain himself, one who can entertain another, and one who can entertain a new idea. Now, that makes me think of the quote attributed to Aristotle about how the educated mind can entertain an idea without making it its own. Something we don't see a lot. So let's take a quick look at each one of those qualities. The educated man can entertain himself. Billy Graham said, only those who want everything done for them are bored. I'm bored is the plaintive cry uttered by many a child idling away their summer vacation or fall break. They expect parents to come up with an activity to cure this boredom. Now, of course, he says, if your mom was like mine, she'd always make a suggestion like, okay, how about cleaning up your room? Unfortunately, many men never outgrow this need to be entertained by others, and they don't develop into self-starters. This is the man who puts his head down on the dinner table as people talk after eating. He says, I've seen it. The college student who grouses his way through a class outing to the local museum, the house guest who comes to visit your fair city and has no idea what he'd like to do during his stay. He leaves all the planning to you. I think this would also include the wife or girlfriend who, when you say, hey, where would you like to go to eat? I don't know. Well, what do you want? I don't know. (laughs) By the way, simple life hack. If you want to avoid that unpleasantness of trying to figure out what she really wants to eat, say, guess where I am taking you for dinner. Guess. And the first place she names, say, that's it. How did you? Wow. Anyway. So the reason kids are perennially bored is not that there aren't entertainment options available. Come on, they're surrounded by toys and games. But they have such short attention spans. Now, they play with one thing for a little bit, then another, then they don't know what to do. But the educated man is able to lose himself in a task, a hobby, a conversation, or a book because he has developed his powers of focus and concentration. Interesting take, huh? Oh, and there's another aspect, too. Curiosity. The educated man is insatiably curious about the world around him and other people. So in any situation, he sees something to study, to learn, to observe. And if he's stuck somewhere with neither phone nor company, maybe he uses that time to untangle a philosophical problem he's been wrestling with. The mind of the educated man is a repository of ideas that he can pull out and examine to pass the time in any situation. Let's talk about entertaining a friend. If someone is of the dull, non-starting kind, lucky is he to have a friend who is an educated man to entertain him. The educated man is the life of the party, the man who keeps the conversation lively and is known to be unfailingly engaging. And he's able to do this because of his breadth, uh, the breadth of his reading and his experiences. He has an arsenal of interesting tales at the ready about his travels and endeavors. He's up on the latest news stories and interesting scientific breakthroughs. No matter the demographics of the group he's with, he knows a story that will appeal to them. Now, he gives an example of Abraham Lincoln as an educated man who could entertain others. Even though Lincoln had just a year of formal education, he read voraciously and dedicated himself to lifelong learning. Okay, that's, that's a good clue right there. There's also the idea that uh, 
Among the many subjects that an educated man has studied is that of human behavior and psychology. So, if you study human behavior and psychology, one thing you will know for certain is that people are most charmed when others seem interested in them. Here, Lincoln also excelled. As one of his biographers noted, like all truly great men, he was a good listener. And Brett and and Kate McKay say, look, while we're on the subject, I'd like to add that a man should be able to tell a good joke. I guess where it's gone out of fashion to tell real jokes, you know, some places, but still, we enjoy them. But that part about being interested in others, getting people to talk about themselves, that is a great way to entertain people, or at least to to, to learn about them, and uh, and it really does work. Don't be the, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? Don't Don't be that person. And then finally, the educated man can entertain a new idea. This might seem like the easiest one. I mean, come on, how hard is it to be open-minded, right? Research into the way our minds work has shown that far from being the rational beings we flatter ourselves into thinking we are, unbeknownst to us, our unconscious our unconscious is constantly shaping our thoughts, beliefs, and motivations in irrational ways. For example, because of the backfire effect, which when we're presented with uh, evidence that contradicts our belief, instead of changing those beliefs, they become even more entrenched. Or the confirmation bias that makes us seek out and only pay attention to new information confirming our pre-existing notions. Well, we let information that contradicts those notions go over our heads. And then there's the sunk cost fallacy, which pushes us to stick with a less sensible or desirable option instead of choosing something better because, well, I'm already, you know, I've already invested time or money or emotion into it. In other words, our unconscious minds see our personal ideas as a great treasure and competing ideas as would-be looters when they're detected by the unconscious security system. It unleashes the dogs and locks the gates. In fact, if you look at a brain scan of people who are listening to a political argument that contradicts their own position, the blood in the part of the brain responsible for rational thought is depleted, and it's not replenished until the person hears a statement that confirms their position. Woof. Pretty hard to fight against human nature. I guess the bottom line is when we're confronted with new ideas, your brain literally closes up shop and throws down the blinds till a friendly, well-known visitor knocks at the door. Now keep in mind... The ability to entertain new ideas doesn't come naturally. Your conscious mind has to turn off that unconscious security system and say, all right, I know what's going on here. Let's not be hasty. I'm not sure if that's a looter or a new friend. Why don't we first check and see? Because entertaining a new idea doesn't necessarily mean I accept it or changing your beliefs every time you're presented with a different take on things. As it has been said, be open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brain falls out. I kind of like how Joseph Sobran put it, and that is, it's okay to be open-minded, but... At some point, you need to be willing to commit to the truth. So entertain an idea the same way you entertain a guest. You talk with him in a public setting at first at a distance, and if you're intrigued, then maybe invite him over for a chat. You spend some time getting to know him. If he turns out to be a bad apple, stop letting him come around. But sometimes the person you didn't think you had anything in common with becomes your new best friend. And the educated man has an easier time in seeing this. He has, his varied experiences and studies have given him multiple opportunities to see how the information he has learned has changed his opinions, even if those ideas took a long time to be invited in. So it's, it's worth considering and hearing other points of view, but you got to pay the price to know what you know. And you can tell the people who've done this, I'll tell you who they are, they're the ones who aren't working so desperately to get you to agree with them. Because it doesn't matter whether you agree with them or not. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. By the way, if you haven't subscribed to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, you're missing out on a great resource for wrong thinkers. I mean, if, if you just want some different stories to give you some ideas, and this is not all about here's the bad stuff that happened today or here's the worst thing people did to each other. I, I really don't specialize in that. Sometimes it's, it's necessary to call out, you know, a particular mischief that's going on. But I also like to share the things that, uh, that empower you to stand on your own feet and to, to walk with confidence away from the herd. You don't have to blend in with the crowd in order to be safe. Sometimes it's okay to, to proudly and confidently walk your own path, regardless of what the people around you are saying. That's why I love to read to writers like Barry Brownstein. His, mind sh- his mindset shifts. These are essays by him. Uh, his substack are, are just remarkable. And this latest one, Downsizing Your Inner Central Planner, is such a great article. Just because, look, central planning, that is the, that is the tenet of, of socialism or collectivism. The idea that, well, somebody knows what's right for everybody and they can make all these decisions and you don't even have to worry about it. You just basically are like a worker bee. You're a drone. Keep doing what you're doing. Just doing what you're told. No. Nope. But, but interestingly enough, you know, those external central planners are very destructive. And if you have an internal central planner, that can also be destructive. Now, what does that look like? Well, he talks about uh, an essay he wrote back in 2018 for the Foundation for Economic Ed- Education. And it was titled, I Pencil, that's the classic essay by Leonard Reed, can help you downsize your inner central planner. Now, in iPencil, Leonard Reed instructs, leave all creative energies uninhibited. Merely organize society to act in harmony with this lesson. Let society's legal apparatus remove all obstacles the best it can. Oh, man, Leonard Reed just had a way of putting things. Barry Brownstein says, we can apply Reed's instruction to our personal lives. Leave your creative energies uninhibited. Merely organize your life to act in harmony with this lesson. Remove all your self-created obstacles the best you can by allowing the universal power to work through you. Now, he asks the question, Barry says, am I making too big a leap with a great man's work? Did Reed believe in a universal power that could power our lives? What self-created obstacles inhibit our creative energy and block our expression of our gifts? In his book, Who's Listening?, Reed refers to the mysterious universal power, the radiant energy that flows through all life. The universal power, Reed warns, is blocked off, cut off, stifled by duplicity in any of its forms. Expediency, lying, double talk, and the like are ferments of the soul through which the universal power does not and cannot flow. Our character flaws, Reed stresses, limit our freedom to lead a meaningful life. This is why so many people, myself included, have, have embraced the idea that if you really want to make a radical difference, the most radical thing you can do is become a truly great person. Make your character so impeccable that people cannot help but see this is a person who, you know, knows what they're about. Never underestimate that power of example. Nevertheless, Barry Brownstein says that term universal power may not resonate with you. 
Now, Reed recognizes the significance of the term, and he writes, This power has been variously referred to as God, Jehovah, Brahma, the creator or creation, infinite intelligence or mind or consciousness. Barry says, I would add goodness and love to Reed's list. Like spontaneous order, universal power is an invisible force. Of universal power, Reed observes, we can never have more than an inkling of its nature. And Reed humbly acknowledges, no one can catalog the infinite. We may know that it is, but not what it is. Now, he was influenced by Ralph Waldo Emerson, often quoting from his works. In fact, the title of Reed's book, Thoughts Rule the World, comes from Emerson's address before the Phi Beta Kappa Society at Cambridge in 1867. In that address, Progress of Culture, Emerson explained that great men are they who see that spiritual is stronger than any material force that thoughts rule the world. And that the spiritual is stronger than any material force runs through Reed's collected works. Now, from here, he goes into a couple of other different things, and Barry talks about the subtraction principle. And this subtraction principle is, uh, is about directing human energy and, and how it, it inhibits creativity. So it's best to focus on subtracting what blocks creative energy. Now, the subtraction principle, according to Reed, was uh, that society can never direct the configuration of creative human energies. Millions of tiny know-hows configuring, configurating naturally and spontaneously in response to human necessity. Okay, that kind of makes sense. But his point is simply this. When we apply that subtraction principle to our lives, we can notice the many ways we block our creative energy. Reed, like Emerson, challenged us to examine our low-character self that tries to control and manipulate. This is the low-character ego self that believes personal power is the source of goodness. Intelligence permeates the fabric of the universe. Reed makes it clear. It's an intelligence we did not create. Imagine a wave proclaiming itself the ocean, or, well, our puffed-up egos do the same thing. So when an individual thinks of himself as source false claim to divinity, the source thereby ceases to function and to flow. Did Leonardo, Edison, Emerson, and other seers inflate their ego? Reed is sure that the answer is no. So what does it look like to achieve that state of flow, that, uh, that where we shut up that inner central planner and just use our gifts to the best of our ability? Interestingly enough, a basketball player, Bill Russell, in his autobiography, Second Wind, talks about occasions where a state of flow uh, permutated both teams and even the referees. I, I've never heard this before, but it, it, it makes sense. Every so often, a Celtic game would heat up so that it became more than a physical or even mental game and would be simply magical. Now, Bill, uh, Bill Russell says, that feeling is difficult to describe, and he says, I never talked about it when I was playing. When it happened, I could feel my play rise to a new level. It came rarely, and it would last anywhere from five minutes to a whole quarter or more. In other words, three or four plays just wasn't enough to get it going. But he said it would not only surround me and the other Celtics, but also the players on the other team, even the referees. He says, to me, the key was that both teams had to be playing at their peaks, and they had to be competitive. In other words, the Celtics could not do it alone. And when he experienced this flow, Russell describes a state where all that mattered was using his gifts fully. The less he cared about the outcome, the better he played. The game would be in a white heat of competition, yet somehow I wouldn't feel competitive. 
and anything that broke that state of flow was an irritant. In fact, one time a referee broke a run by making a bad call in Bill Russell's favor, which so irritated him that he protested it as he stood at the foul line to take his free throws. Why would he protest it? Because in such a state, Russell literally did not care who had won. In fact, he said, if we had lost, I'd still be as free and as high as a Skyhawk. Because he was using his gifts fully. Now, Russell explained the price of admission to this state of flow. In order for the universal power to work through him, he had to suspend his sense of being the doer. Can we relax our own investment in outcomes? The universal power will work through us. It will never favor us. Spontaneous order powered by a sweet harmony of interests produces Reed's pencil. Harmony is disrupted when we damn the flow of spontaneous order by favoring one industry over another. And our own lives are no different. Barry Brownstein says as we allow intelligence, love, peace, and intelligence to flow, the universal power that creates a pencil will create wonders in our lives. This really struck me. And, and what I'm going to tell you next is probably going to sound a lot like, well, this sounds like a guy equivocating because, you know, he, he just can't succeed. And, and maybe that's it. This may, be, this may just be me on copium. I don't know. But I reached a point some years ago where I stopped worrying about, uh, hey, how many people are listening to this, this podcast or this program? How many people are tuned in? How many listeners do I have? How big is my audience? I stopped caring. And, and it was actually based on some advice from uh, T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education who said, look, if, if you're playing the numbers game, if you're just trying to, to keep track of the numbers as a measure of how am I doing, you're missing the point. The point is, at least for me, I know there are people out there, you're one of them, who, is, who are searching for the truth as best it can be found. And so in that search, somehow their path has crossed with mine, and I never know how many people are listening. And, and I'm going to reiterate, I don't care how many people are listening. If it's just you, that's great. I'm still going to give you my best and most sincere effort the same way I would if there were millions of people hanging on every word. I want to make sure that uh, I am using my gifts fully. And like Bill Russell, there's times when I can feel that I'm, I'm slipping into that uh, synchronicity and that, that harmony with the universe. And I'm confident I'm using these gifts the way God would want me to use them. And when I feel that way, I don't really care about the numbers. I just want to speak the truth. This is The Brian Hyde Show.